Uh, my name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors at Sunrise. And this morning we are going to pick up a sermon series we were in before we took a break for the holidays. Uh, back in November, we were in the book of Genesis. So we want to turn to Genesis this morning. If you have a Bible with you, you can open that to Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got uh, ones in these chair pockets and at the ends of the side aisles. Feel free to borrow one of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please feel free to keep that one. Um, We're turning to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so it's easy to find. Just go all the way to the beginning and then flip until you see a big 15. And we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And this should be on the screen behind me as well. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray again. Our Father, I just echo what Joanna prayed before. As we give our attention to your words, we don't want to just know more things. We want to know you. We want to draw near to you. We want to be changed by you. And so I pray, Father, that you would come by your spirit in this time, that we 
would draw near to you and that you would work in our lives such that we live more for your glory so that you are more known and so that our joy is full. So come and work in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at the end of November, we had just come to the pivot point of the book of Genesis. So Genesis has two unequal halves. And the first part of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, deals with kind of a broad level God's dealings with the whole world, right? Massive things happen in Genesis 1 to 11. The creation of the world, the fall into sin and the curse, the flood at the time of Noah, the people being divided and scattered over the face of the world after the Tower of Babel. But in the second half of Genesis, beginning in chapter 12, the story focuses in on God's dealings with one family, the family of Abraham. And Abraham, if you remember, he, was, he, he wasn't a church kid. He grew up in a pagan city, Ur of the Chaldeans. He grew up among a people that worshipped idols, not the true God. But God came to Abraham and said, I choose you. You are going to be the father of my people. And, and through you, through your family, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. But you have to get out. You have to leave your country. You have to leave your people. You have to leave your family. And you have to come follow me. And Abraham did. And the reason he did was faith. Faith is why Abraham is famous. The New Testament of the Bible calls him the man of faith. The man of faith. He believed what God said, and his faith enabled him to live an incredible life. I mean, how many of us could imagine leaving behind everything that makes us feel secure in life? Leaving our job, leaving our home, leaving the country where we grew up, leaving everything behind just because God told us to. God promised Abraham that his descendants would inherit this land of Canaan, but Abraham didn't see that promise fulfilled. Abraham spent his whole life living in tents, and yet by faith he was able to be content, trusting that God's promise would come through in time. Abraham's faith enabled him to obey God when he didn't understand. We're going to see next week that there was a time when after God kept his promise to give Abraham a son, there was a time when he said, now I want you to take your son, I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to end his life. And Abraham didn't understand, but he obeyed. And God stopped him before anything happened, but he obeyed in faith because he knew, even if I don't understand, I can trust this God, that his ways are good, right? Faith enabled him to obey even when he didn't understand. And maybe most wonderfully, Abraham's faith gave him an extraordinary intimacy with God. He had these incredibly honest conversations with God where, where Abraham brought his doubts and his questions, his not understanding, and he found rest for his soul. And, and God elsewhere, he calls Abraham my friend. Abraham was the friend of God. Does that interest you? Having a security of heart even when you're materially insecure, being free from worry about the future, free from envy about what other people have, being able to courageously do the right thing even when it's personally costly, having an intimacy with God that gives you a rest of heart even when everyone else fails you. Abraham had it. And the key to having it was faith. He believed that God keeps his promise. So in this story, we're going to see three facets of faith. Why we need it, how God feeds it, and what secures it. First, why we need faith. It makes relationship with God possible. So Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, is one of the most famous verses in the whole Old Testament. It's quoted in three different New Testament books 
as, as an illustration of what it looks like to, to walk with God. Look at it. Look at verse 6. And, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. So what's righteousness? What does that mean? Righteousness is just right living. It's living the way we were made to live. It's loving God with all your heart. Loving your neighbor as you love yourself. It's what we must be in order to draw near to a holy God. And none of us has it. We all fall short. Abraham fell short too. We're going to see that as we go along. He was far from perfect. So if the only way God could accept us, if the only way we could draw near to him was on the basis of our record, our performance, our obedience, we could never know him. We could never draw near. But what did he do for Abram? Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Because Abram believed God, God didn't count his sins against him. He didn't hold him far off. He let him draw near. He let him have a relationship with him. The only way that we can draw near to God is by faith. We can't come on our performance. We're all too bad. He's holy and we're sinful. We can't come near that way. But when we believe, he counts faith as righteousness. Okay, but what kind of faith? Because notice that it doesn't say that Abram believed in the Lord. He didn't just believe that God was out there. He believed The Lord, he believed what he said. He believed his promises. Sometimes we think that faith just means kind of thinking that something exists. I believe believe in God. I believe he's out there. I believe there must be more than this. But Abram didn't believe in God. He believed God. He trusted his words. Look at the verse before this in verse 5. And God brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's what he believed. He believed God when God said, I'm going to do this. He put his trust in his, in his promise. That's the faith God counted as righteousness. Do you have that? Do you not just believe that there is a God, maybe that the God of the Bible is the real God, but do you believe that his promises are true and true for you? Your life will show whether you do. So just, you have to imagine, imagine I were to say to you, up here, right next to me, I have an invisible chair, right? This chair is made of a material so cutting edge that you can't, you can't even see that it's here, but you have to take my word for it. It's here and it can hold up to 500 pounds, right? Now it's one thing for you to sit in your chair and think, well, I've always found Brett to be a pretty trustworthy person. Uh, from here, I, I have no problem saying, yep, there's a chair up there. But it's, it's something entirely different for me to call you down and for you, me to just kind of, you know, position your body and say, all right, now sit, right? Because if, if there's no chair there, you fall on the ground, you embarrass yourself. Next Sunday, you have to find a different church, right? You never show your face around here again. It's an entirely different thing to believe in the chair and to believe it enough to put your weight on it, even when you can't see it. Because... That's the faith that Abram has. The way you know if you really believe something is you're willing to put your weight on it. Live as if it's true. Live in such a way that you look like a fool if it's not real. Does your life show that you believe God? Do God's promises to provide, he promises to provide for his people, right? Does that actually change your life? Does it enable you to be generous with what you have and not worry about what you don't have? Does his promise to forgive, 
enable you to confess your sins honestly, but then not live under guilt and condemnation? Does this promise to work all things together for our good enable you to encounter suffering and setbacks without drawing away from him? When we believe God, it shows in our life. And it showed in Abram's life. So what had happened just before this passage in the, in the last chapter, Genesis 14, is that Abram's son Lot had been taken captive. Okay, Lot had come with Abram to the promised land, and he had settled near a town you've probably heard of called Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there was a war between some kings in the area, and the king of Sodom was defeated. And the, foreign, the other kings came, and they took plunder away. And part of what they took was Lot. They took God's nep- or Abram's nephew into captivity, right? They took him away. And so Abram had to get some guys together and go chase him down and, and fight a battle and bring Lot back. And after that, after he was victorious, the king of Sodom tried to give him spoil from the battle, treasure. And Abram said... I won't take that. I won't have it said that Sodom made me rich. I don't, I don't want money from that town. I'm trusting that God, God has promised me he's going to provide for me. I'm trusting in God. I don't want your money. Faith showed itself in his life. But please don't get the idea that faith means perfection. Oh my, no. Abram was far from perfect. Because if you look, you know, even before that, Just after God had given the promise to Abram that he's going to make him a great nation, which means he's going to have to have a child, there's a famine in the land. A famine in the land, the promised land. And Abram and Sarai, his wife, go to Egypt. And they go there, you know, there's food there. They have to get out of the famine. And they go there, and Abram's afraid that Sarai is so beautiful that Pharaoh is going to kill him so he can take her as his wife. Now, now, if Abram had trusted the promise, he would know that can't happen, right? He couldn't be killed because he, he hadn't had a child yet. He couldn't become a great nation. He couldn't be killed because God hadn't kept his promise yet, but he didn't trust that right then. What he did instead was he lied, and he said that Sarai was his sister. And so Pharaoh did take her into his house. He sold out his own wife just to protect himself, right? Abram was not perfect, Faith does not mean perfection. And believing God doesn't mean you don't still struggle. This chapter is full of struggle. Look at verse 2. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Abram isn't this flannel-board saint who just accepts everything easily. Abram struggles. He says, it's been 10 years since you promised me a son, and I, I have nothing. This guy, this guy in my household is going to inherit everything. I'm going to die without a son. He's struggling. He says, God, what will you give me? Where is your promise? We some have, sometimes have this idea that, that faith means the absence of doubt. But in scripture, we often find them existing in the same person, right? There's that story in the gospel of Mark where this man brings his son to Jesus, right? And, and, and the, the son has, uh, he has a, a demon and it's afflicting him. And, and the father says, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus says, if, if you can, all things are possible to one who believes. And the father says, I believe Help my unbelief. They're both in there, faith 
and doubt. That's what Abram's like. He does believe. He left everything from God. He, he believes his promises, but he struggles too. And actually, the struggle is a good sign. The struggle means that he's taking it seriously. It means he's, he's counting the cost. He's saying, if I really take God's promises seriously, that's going to cost me something. I want to know that it's real. I want to know that I can put my weight on it. His struggle is a sign of faith. If we want to relate to the God who made us, we need faith. He counts faith as righteousness, not because of its strength, but because of its object, because it's trust in him. But even though we're not saved by having perfect faith, we want to grow in our faith, right? So how do we grow? That's the second thing that we want to see in this passage, how God feeds faith, which is with his word. Look at the first words God speaks to Abram in this passage. Look at verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. He says, fear not. So why, why is Abram afraid? Well, this is, remember, this is happening right after Abram said to the king of Sodom, I don't want your money. But now, now he's in a pinch, right? He's, he said, I don't, I don't want your money, but now he's really having to trust God to take care of him. And so God comes to him and says, don't be afraid. I'm going to take care of you. I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. But, but in this, in this sort of having to depend on God, he's wondering, well, so you've promised to take care of me. I want to believe that, but you almost also promised me a son, and where is that? What if it's not true? What if I staked my life on a figment? And so God says, fear not. He comes to him and he speaks to him. How does God feed his faith? He feeds his faith with his word. The word of the Lord comes to him. He comes and he speaks to him and he puts strength into his heart. And, and maybe it should have been enough for him just to say, fear not, I'm your shield. Your reward will be very great. Maybe that should have been enough for Abram. But it wasn't. He says, but I still have no son. And it's almost an accusation. He's saying, I'm going to die childless. And you could imagine God kind of bristling at that, right? How dare you? How dare you question me? I am the Lord. But that's not how God treats him at all. He's so tender with Abram. He just feeds his faith again. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then, then he takes him outside to look at the stars and says, so shall your offspring be. God is so gentle with Abram. He sees that his faith is real, but it's small. It's like this glowing ember. And so God just breathes onto it to bring it into flame, breathes onto it. He just brings his word again and again. What does he say to him? He reminds him of his grace in the past, right? Look at verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He says, don't you remember what I've done? You didn't even know me. You were worshiping other gods, and I came and I found you. I loved you before you ever loved me. You didn't earn any of my promises. They're all gifts. I'm a God of grace. If I loved you and called you when you didn't even know me, how much more am I going to care for you now that you're mine? So he reminds him of the past. He reminds him that he is in total control over the future, right? Look at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. 
And they, your offspring, shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. God says to Abram, just because you can't see how I'm working doesn't mean I don't have a plan. I have everything laid out. I know your future. You're going to die at a good old age. I have a plan for your descendants. They're going to go into slavery. They're going to be there for 400 years. I'm going to bring them out at just the right time so that they have riches from the Egyptians so that when they come back here, I'm going to use them to judge the Amorites because their iniquity is not yet complete. God has this. He sees the whole field. He has this plan for everything. He's in total control over the future. He says to Abram, I know what I'm doing. Believe me. And maybe you'd say, that you're just not the kind of person to whom faith comes easy. You don't find it easy to believe. Maybe other people find it easy, but for you, you'd like some proof. Something hard and something that you can, you can really hold on to. But respectfully, you believe all the time. You live by faith continually. You believe your bank will not lose track of your money. You believe that when you drop your kids off at school, they're going to be there when you come back for them. You believe your employer will honor your contract. You believe your spouse will honor their vows. You live every day trusting people without absolute proof. You've learned to trust them. And you can learn to trust God. You just need to get to know him. And he reveals himself through his word. Not many of us will hear from God in dreams and visions the way Abram did, but we have more of his word than he could have ever dreamed in this book. If you want to hear from God, this is where he speaks. This is where he feeds our faith. This is where he reminds us of who he is. This is where he reminds us of his grace in the past, where he reminds us of his power over the future. If your faith seems weak, is it because it's not being fed? Are you listening to what God has to say in this book? There's a reason why we give a big chunk of every Sunday morning to teaching the Bible. There's a reason why community groups aren't just dinner parties. We study scripture together. There's a reason why we encourage you to make it your daily habit to read the Bible and pray. This is the food of faith. This is how God feeds our faith. It's how we grow in trusting his promises. But there's something else in this passage we need to see, something that that Abram must have found staggering. So let's look finally at what secures faith, seeing what it costs God to keep his promises. Now, the biggest part of this passage, from verse 9 all the way to the end, it details a ceremony that must have seemed very strange to you. And that ceremony was God's response to a question from Abram. So look at verse 7. And God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? That's the question. How shall I know? You can see that he's still struggling. God, what are you going to say to me? What can you show me that will will let me know that you're going to keep your promises? And so God says, I want you to gather some animals and a couple birds. And he doesn't tell Abram what to do with them. Abram just seems to know. So Abram takes these animals and he he divides them in half and he lays them, the halves, opposite the others. And he takes these birds and puts one on this side and one on this side and he makes kind of, you imagine, a pathway marked out by dead meat. What's going on here? 
Well, it was a covenant-making ceremony. This was a way people at the time communicated the seriousness of what they were saying, right? We, we have ways of doing this today. In, in some countries, if you're going to take an oath or give testimony, you put your hand on a Bible, right? And you say, this is how I'm showing you how serious I am, right? If you grew up in the 80s like I did, you might have shown the strength of your word with a spit shake or the, the classic cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, Right? In Harry Potter, they have the unbreakable oath where if you break your word, you just drop down dead. That's what's happening here. God told Abraham to, to make this path. And here's what it meant. Right? When, when two parties would make a covenant, they would walk together through the path. And what they were saying was, if I fail to keep the covenant, if I fail to keep my promises, may I become like these animals. If I break my word, may I be torn apart as they were torn apart. They acted out the curse of the covenant, the consequences of breaking it. So God told Abram to bring these animals. Abram arranged them, waiting for this covenant ceremony, and he waited so long that scavengers began coming, and he had to drive them off. But then God came. Look at verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, Notice it doesn't say that Abram fell asleep. Anybody can fall asleep, but when sleep falls on you, that's the Lord. God caused sleep to fall on him, and then darkness fell on him. And it wasn't the darkness of night, because he tells us that the sun was still going down, but it was a darkness that was literally dreadful, full of dread. The darkness of God's holiness. And that's when he made him this promise about the future. But now look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down... And it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So what's going on here? Well, you have to think about what smoke and fire remind you of in Scripture, what, they, what, they, what, what that image evokes, right? These are the same words. When, so when Israel came out of Egypt and they came and they were at Mount Sinai and God met with them there, this is what Moses tells us. It says, Moses, or Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Smoke and fire have to do with the presence of God, right? When, when God led his people through the wilderness, what did they follow? A pillar of smoke by day and fire by night, right? Smoke and fire show the presence of God. So, so what's happening here? You've got to follow me here. When God made a covenant with Abram, he passed through the animals and he passed through alone. Abram didn't have to walk. Abram had asked, how am I to know that you'll keep your promises? And God said, watch this. I'll make a covenant with you that doesn't depend on you at all. God says, if I don't keep my promises, may I be like these animals. May I be torn apart. God says, you don't need to do anything to secure my promise. It depends entirely on me. All you have to do is believe. Now, that's amazing. And this, keep in mind, this is happening 15 years before Abram's son was born. 15 years more of waiting. Think how often during those years he would have remembered this, he would have brought this to mind. He was tempted to doubt that God would come through and he would remember seeing God's presence walk through the animals, seeing God say, if I don't do this, may I be torn apart. Abram likely couldn't have imagined any way God could have more strongly shown his commitment to his promise. 
but we can think of one. We have something even more amazing to look back on, something to which this ceremony points, because God doesn't say to us, if I don't keep my promise to you, may I be torn apart. He says to us, in order to keep my promise to you, I was torn apart. God promised Abram that through his family, he would bless all nations. And the New Testament tells us that blessing that he sent was the blessing of salvation, of forgiveness and reconciliation to God. And how did God secure that? It was this way. Many years later, dreadful darkness came down on another man of faith. But it didn't come down as it did here to reassure him. It came down on him in condemnation. When Jesus hung on the cross, the gospel writers tell us that there was darkness over the whole land. And the reason there was the darkness of God's holiness and his judgment is because Jesus on the cross was taking the curse of the covenant. He was taking the curse our sins deserve so that we could have the blessing. The way God kept his promise to bless us was by becoming a man and taking the curse himself. He was torn apart. God died for us. Do you see what keeping his promises cost him? The ultimate assurance God gave Abraham was that God said, I'll die before I fail to keep my promises to you. But our ultimate assurance is that God says, I did die to make sure that all my promises would come to you. Like with Abraham, God offers us a covenant that depends entirely on himself. He doesn't say, your end of the bargain is to clean yourself up and then I will come and bless you. He did it all himself through Christ. He says, if you put your faith in me, if you turn to me, I'll count it to you as righteousness. If you put your faith in me, you will be as righteous in my sight as my son is. This encounter with God secured Abram's faith. It enabled him to wait for God to keep his promises. And God did keep them. Abram had a son. His son became a nation. The nation inherited the land. God keeps his promises and he will keep his promises to us. God promised to provide for us and he will. He promises to never leave us and he won't. He promises to be near to the brokenhearted. He promises to use all things for our good. He promises that nothing will ever separate us from his love. He promises that his son will return to make all things new and he will keep his promises. Since God always keeps his promises, we can live by confident faith. Even when we have to wait, even when we don't understand, even when life is a struggle, we can believe the Lord. We can put all our weight on his promises. He is faithful. Let's pray. Our Father, we are amazed again at the strength of your love at the strength of your commitment to us, that we don't deserve any of your goodness to us, and yet you have chosen us. And you sent your son into the world to take the curse so that we could have the blessing, so we could be righteous by faith, so we could be accepted as your children, so we could have your presence with us by your spirit. Father, your love is amazing, as is your faithfulness. Thank you that you use all of your infinite strength to make sure that none of your promises ever fail, that they are all yes and amen in Christ through him. And I pray that you would even now 
that you would blow on the weak embers of our faith to bring them to flame, that you would make us people who believe the Lord and that you would use us in the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.